Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 9, which is the case of Season. And Season 9 was about the case of Curtis Flowers. This week, I was joined with uh, the host of the In the Dark podcast, Madeline Barron, and we talked about the Curtis Flowers case, uh, everything that went on with this case, and also Madeline's work on it. I got Mike and Zach in the studio with me this week. Hey, everybody. Hey, guys. And we got some questions from you guys about the case and about the podcast and uh, kind of our format moving forward through this uh, this season as we're, as we're doing these these one-off episodes covering a case a week is I, I will be expanding more on my thoughts on the cases uh, in the Friday follow-up. So I'll, I'll kind of leave when we're doing these interviews, leave the the basic breakdowns of the cases uh, to the our guests. And then in a follow-up, we'll we'll dig in a little bit deeper. And so that's what we're going to do today, right after break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's get started. Uh, Zach, what did you think about, I guess not necessarily the episode, but thoughts on the case about everything that was discussed on the podcast this week? I was happy to hear it. This case has been in the news a lot lately Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons, and I didn't really know much about it, so it was nice to hear about it. I'm not a huge true crime podcast junkie. I like true crime, but I'm not a huge podcast junkie when it comes to that. Uh-huh. So I haven't heard this podcast. So it was nice to kind of get a little breakdown on the case. And there was some confusing things to me. Like I couldn't understand quite how they were able to try him so many times. But uh, it was nice to hear what she had to say about the case. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that as far as seeing a little bit of it on the news and stuff. But mm-hmm. not, and you see, we see a lot of things on social media. Yeah. And not, and, and that's kind of what I'm hoping to do is obviously we're not going to, in an hour, 45 minute episode, we're not going to take the deepest dive ever into these cases. But as a as a consumer of podcasts, I would like to have something like, and there are other shows that do it, but not quite the way we're doing it, because you know, the, the in the dark is a perfect example of that. People are always posting, and I'm seeing the social media, and even tagging me and saying, "Hey, you need to check out this case. Check out this case," or that reminds me of the Curtis Flowers case. And I just I don't know anything. I don't have time to do these deep dives into all of them. So part of how we came up with this plan was for me as a consumer, it's like it'd be really cool if I could some of these big cases that everyone's talking about 
to be able to go and listen for 45 minutes and get a good idea of, of what the case is. Yeah, I was really happy to have that case overview. Mm-hmm. And uh, to answer your question, uh, w- one thing that is very interesting about the Curtis Flowers case, obviously, is the fact that he's been tried for it six times. And it's a common question. As a matter of fact, I think there's one on the follow-up, but I will just cover it now, that asks how it's not double jeopardy for him to be tried over and over and over again. Yeah, that's really confusing to me that he was just, you know, he was tried six times. Right. Over and over and over. And then they would appeal and win the appeal right. and then be tried. It just was very strange to me. A lot of that is because people have a a misconception. We, we hear the word exoneration a lot, mm-hmm. doing wrongful conviction stuff. But exoneration is not a legal term. It is it is it's something we say when someone is, you know, their conviction is overturned. Now, there are in some states, like the state of Texas has something uh, that, that is referred to as an actual innocence exoneration, where a higher court will overturn a conviction based on actual innocence, which is it, it's rare. But, but that means that basically they become the new triers of fact, the appeals court, and says, no, this person is innocent and therefore we're overturning their conviction. But that is extremely atypical. Normally what happens and what's happened in Curtis Flowers' case is the conviction is overturned based on – it would downplays a little bit to say procedural error, but they're constitutional violations. So they're basically saying you did not get a fair trial, and so we're overturning your conviction. But what that means is we're ordering a new trial. Now, depending on the reason and what's left of the state's case, Sometimes the state will say we are we're just dropping the charges because, you know, so a procedural error might be, you know, they have. So if we look at hopefully we're going to see this happen in Jesse Eldridge's case soon here for our season three, where here there was one single item of evidence against him. The only evidence against him was the testimony of his brother who said he was an eyewitness to the murder. Well, now his brother has recanted that testimony and said that the whole thing was a lie. And so. Allison Clayton and the Innocence Projects of Texas is taking that to an appeals court and they're going to say, you know, they'll try to present it as an actual innocence case. Like there was, you know, the only the only person, the only reason we think he did it is because this guy said he did it. And this guy's now saying that that's not true. But more likely what will happen is they will say they will call that like a Fourth Amendment violation that he didn't get a fair trial because there was false testimony presented against him. So. What the judge will do was it, w- it will be to vacate the conviction, overturn it, and say order a new trial. Now, in Jesse's case, what that will leave the prosecutor with is okay. Before the only case I had was this guy saying that he did it. Now I don't have that guy. Do I have enough evidence left to convict a jury? If I don't, then I will drop the charges. Is what typically, and in his case, they're dealing with a conviction integrity unit. So most certainly, that 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 if things play out that way, that'll be the end result. Is they'll they'll drop the charges on him if he doesn't get an actual innocence exoneration from it. But but then in Curtis's case, they had so they had these this whole group of the the route witnesses, right? That all say we saw him walking here, we saw him walking here, we saw him walking here. Well, then over time, some of these witnesses in the jailhouse snitches, right? Some of them have recanted, and then for other issues. The conviction was overturned, like Doug Evans, the prosecutor, you know, striking all the black jury members. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a Batson violation. The conviction's overturned. You didn't get a fair trial because they were they were removing jurors based on race. So, basic when they say that they overturned the conviction, they're ordering a new trial. And in this case, Doug Evans, whatever pieces are missing now, he's like, I think I still have enough, and he keeps retrying them. But 
The reason it's not double jeopardy, double jeopardy is once you are acquitted for uh, a crime, you cannot be tried again. So if you stand trial and 12 jury members say not guilty, the prosecution doesn't get to try again. You're done. That's it. You can never be tried for that crime ever again. In this case, when your conviction is overturned, it's like hitting a reset button. So when when the conviction's overturned, you go back to your pre-trial phase of the of the case. So now you are, and that's why oftentimes, like in Curtis Flowers' case, in the Nansayed's case, a lot of these, they don't get to go home. Even you know, sometimes they'll transfer them back to a county jail, and sometimes, rarely, they might get bonded out. But if the conviction's overturned and the prosecutor is intending to try you again, then you just still wait in prison or jail because you're still remember all that's happened is the conviction wasn't wasn't legit. But if you were already locked up in jail prior to the first trial, now you're in a position where you're prior to a trial again, usually you're still going to be locked up until the trial unless bail is granted. So that that's that's why it's not double jeopardy because he was never acquitted. They just kept hitting the reset button over and over and over again. So with you going through all of that, his conviction was overturned six times based on... It wasn't overturned six times because there were two mistrials. Okay, there was two mistrials. Yeah, he was convicted four times. Four times. So four times it was overturned Mm -hmm. based on unfair trial. Right. So with that being said, how do you feel about his actual innocence? You know, I, I've I've continued to, and for the also, I want to point out because somebody had mentioned on on our social media, they're like, "Well, why didn't you listen to the whole podcast before?" You kept saying you only listened to three episodes before mm-hmm. the interview. Shouldn't you research it? Just so you guys know, going forward, we're doing a bunch of these. I obviously can't binge the entirety of every bit of content out there, and that's why the 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 hosts are coming on to discuss the case. So, so what the, what I do to research is. I'm researching the case and then getting some samples of the podcast or the YouTube channel or the TV show or whatever it is we're doing so that I have enough ammo, so to speak, to ask the right questions during the interview and trying to ask questions that that you don't hear in other, you know, most people are talking about the Curtis Flowers case. If Madeline Barron is on, they're talking all about the case. I feel like I want to ask questions that a lot of people might not think of like, you know, were you emotionally attached to it? What was it like doing this? And mm-hmm. what was the proce- the process like? But that being said, I had already researched the case some since we recorded that. I've actually, it's a, In the Dark is an amazing podcast. I've actually, I'm on episode seven now. So I've been like, I was mowing the grass yesterday just to listen, to, just, just for a chance to listen to some more of it. And yeah, I, I, I believe that Curtis Flowers is actually innocent. Is is my opinion on the case now? And there's there's two elements of it. Do I believe that he did not receive a fair trial and the prosecution cheated? Yes, hundred mm-hmm. percent. And and that's enough for his conviction to be overturned, even if he was guilty. Because remember, everything we do, we were setting a precedent, and what we want is truth and justice. What we want is fairness mm-hmm. in our judicial system. So if they're cheating to you know the ends justifies the means is not okay. So for the sake of truth, what evidence leads you to believe that he's innocent? It's actually, I would look at the other way around. What evidence is there that he did do it? Okay. And there isn't any. You know, if we take, just like we do in the, in our long form seasons of truth and justice, is, you know, we, we go back to square one. If I go back to square one, what evidence is there? Okay. Well, for, say, the route, there's three elements to his case, right? So, mm-hmm. the, so the route, you had all these witnesses that, is, that said, oh, I saw him here, I saw him here, I saw him here, I saw him here, that law enforcement presented as though those people came to him and said, I saw Curtis Flowers. Okay. 
Well, then, as they've been talked to over the years, a lot done by Madeline, we find out that, that none of it's true. Almost all of them have recanted. They've all said that it was the police that came to them and basically told them what they saw and, and were enticing them with a $30,000 reward. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so those witnesses are gone. So first of all, you have no evidence that Curtis Flowers was actually anywhere near uh, the, the tardy furniture where the murders happened. Mm-hmm. So that's strike one. Then there's the gun. Okay. Th- there was, there was some, she mentioned it was junk science, but the, to get, to get a little deeper, basically what happened is there's this guy who had a gun in the glove box of his car. And on the day of the murders, he's going around telling people, my gun was stolen. My, it, to me, like, I don't know, I don't have access to the case files, but he actually seems like a pretty good suspect because it was, you know, he, on the day of the murders, he's telling everybody, my gun was stolen, my gun was stolen, my gun was stolen. But he wasn't like, I, I don't know if he reported police, he may have, but the way it sounds to me is though he was like making a deal of letting people know, hey, my gun was stolen. Is that the same gentleman that had the the similar shoe type too that the print was found? No, that was a different suspect. Okay, but so, so this guy, so police go obviously they bring him in as a suspect because you know there's a shooting and you're claiming your gun was stolen. So then they they make some it's a it's a fantastical theory that somehow because he's related to Curtis Flowers somehow he's like a uncle or something or a, a second cousin something like that, and they're saying that Curtis Flowers knew the gun was in his glove box, even though he said that, you know, there's no way that Curtis could have known that it was there. I think at one point, maybe they had pressured him into saying he was, but he said he he wouldn't have known it was there. And he didn't usually keep it there. He just happened to that day had it in his glove box. And so the the state's theory is all these witnesses that now we know were not legit Mm -hmm. walked across town. So if you're looking at a map, you got, you got Curtis's house where the gun was stolen, where the murders happened. And they're saying he walked all the way across town, went to the glove box, took the gun, went back home, and then went back to Tardy Furniture and committed the murders. So there's, it's already ridiculous, to, in my opinion, that he just would know, I think if I go across town to this parking lot, to this car, to this glove box, there's going to be a gun there. Mm-hmm. But then they never recovered the gun, the murder weapon, and the stolen gun was never taken. So the guy who had his gun stolen told police that you know he used to do some target shooting at his mom's house. And they went and, like, with a knife, dug a a bullet out of a stump. Okay. Which, according to the podcast, there was – they used this for target practice all the time. So there was tons of bullets in there from all different guns, all different calibers. But they pull one out that's a three eighty automatic that they're, that they're saying this must be from his gun. Then they take a bullet out of one of the victims from the crime scene and compare them, and they can't get a match. But then months later, they go back and the 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 defense and or the prosecution prosecutor's investigator, Ron Johnson, he goes back to the crime scene and says he pulls a pristine bullet out of a mattress that must have been a miss hmm. in the back room of the of the furniture store. Takes that, has a forensic examiner look at it and you know matching up striations and thing, and says hundred percent confirmed the same gun that came out of that stump fired the gun that came out of this mattress. Okay. But that, first of all, bullet comparisons like that are considered junk science. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, it's, it's not like, if you see it on TV, it's like a fingerprint and you can for sure, like it's even the, the guy was interviewed, the examiner was interviewed on the podcast and said, people want to call it a science. It's not a science, it's an art. And she's asking him like, well, how do you know? You're saying 100% you're sure. Yep. 
how do you know? It's hard to explain when you know, you just know. It's like, what? <laughs> so, you know, that's so like, I, there's no evidence, even if one gun did fire both of those bullets. Mm-hmm. So this dude's gun is the murder weapon. There is no evidence whatsoever that Curtis Flowers had any access to that gun. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, there's n- absolutely nothing to suggest that he had it. And and was that vehicle that that gun was stolen close to the, the scene of the crime? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, it very likely could be that gun. Could be. I mean, but it's it, not saying it is, but I mean, there's. But the, my thing is, like, if it's not him, mm-hmm. right? If it's not the guy that, if it's not Curtis Flower, or if it's not the guy that owns the gun, then yeah. I'll get, you're in the same position you are with Curtis. Like, who would go in there, somehow know the gun is there, take it and go kill? You know, it, it just, it's pretty, it, it's pretty ridiculous story. But in this case, so you have zero witnesses saying left that say Curtis was anywhere near the scene. You have nothing to connect Curtis to the gun that they're saying committed the murders. And even the fact that they're saying that that's the gun is questionable. Mm-hmm. So you're left with nothing. And then except for the jailhouse snitches who one had already recanted and said that they lied. They were promised a deal and they lied. They lied. And then uh, Odell, I can't remember his last name, but the 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 one witness that 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 continued to testify against him over and over and over again. Oh, this guy's sister had testified against Curtis in the first trial, and her brother Odell goes in and testifies for the defense and says she's lying. She's trying to get the money. She's lying. That's not true. Hmm. Then the prosecutor gets a hold of him after the first conviction thrown out, and now he comes back for the state. And says, and says, not only did Curtis confess to him, but the reason he testified the first time and said his sister was lying is because Curtis offered to pay him and give him cigarettes for it. And so that became his story throughout all these trials. And then this is some of the awesome work that Madeline did is Madeline reaches out to him. He's got all kinds of contraband in the prison. It's pretty great. He has a cell phone in the prison. And they're Facebook messengering him. Oh, my goodness. Which is pretty bananas because all I was thinking is after I listened to it. Like he had to get, she's broadcast to the world mm-hmm. and he's saying, I've got drugs in here. I've got my cell phone in here. I've got all this stuff in here, but they get him on the phone to talk to him. And he admits, he's like, everything I said was a lie. I had a bunch of drug charges. They told me that they can make them go away. And so I said what they wanted me to say, but it was all, I don't know nothing about the Curtis Flowers case. Wow. The whole thing was a lie. And then they, she also gets into like that guy, like the one of the problems with prosecutors playing dirty like this is in order to keep him on their side to continue testifying, he's committed, I don't know, 100 crimes after that mm-hmm. and never just wouldn't do, he'd get slapped on the wrist, no prison time, charges would be dropped because they had to keep him in their corner. At one point, he ran over a cop with his car, which could have carried a life sentence and they no charges, everything was dropped. That's unbelievable. Yeah. But, and then because they, they ended up, uh, you know, they, they kept him out on the street. He ended up murdering, I think, three people, like went on a shooting spree and killed three people and is now in prison for the rest of his life. But the like the victims of the like if the prosecutor wasn't doing all these dirty tricks to try to execute Curtis Flowers, their loved ones would still be alive because he's still on the street. There's not it's hard to prove a negative. But if you look at like what is that? What case is there against Curtis? If take out everything from the trials, just look at what actual evidence do we have right now? There's literally nothing. And Madeline put it, there's no good evidence against him. I'd say there's no evidence against him. You can try to spin some web to maybe somehow there's something circumstantial, but there's just nothing to indicate that he had anything to do with it. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, we can jump into these questions now. Our first one's from Kathy. She writes, does this mean that Curtis is finally free or can the state come after him again? This is an interesting situation. And the way it was described by Madeline was that when the Supreme Court overturned his conviction, they overturned it with prejudice, which is a legal term. And essentially, I've, I've dealt with this with other cases, that, that same term. I don't know exactly how it plays out in Mississippi or this case. But essentially, when they overturn it with prejudice, it, makes it, it would be impossible to try him again. You know, um, you know I, I had a custody issue, you know, on a personal, which is a civil, a civil, a civil issue, um, when I went through divorce. And the end result of it was the judge's ruling was determined to be in my favor with prejudice, which made it so that an appeal would be impossible because it's, it's, you know, I, I, I don't know the exact legal explanation for it, but the way it was described to me by my attorney is like, basically that judge's ruling would come into an appeal and say, this judge didn't just say, I thought it over and it was close. And I think I'm going to go with you. They say, they said 100%, this case is ridiculous. It shouldn't have never happened. And I'm ruling in your favor which then made it so it would be impossible to appeal. All right, this one's from Lauren. Would you ever consider working with a journalist on an upcoming case? I think it would be a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, I would for the right case. If if like a journalist brought a case to me and wanted help with it, I think it would be, it would be cool. I really did like hearing Matt, you you don't, you don't, there aren't a lot of Madelines out there in the podcast world. You know, this is the kind of, I would say the time of the independent creator right now, right? Where anybody, can put together a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever. And you, you don't get a lot. Of, there aren't a lot of these really well done, just big productions, you know. So the, it sounds to me as though uh, AMP reporting or I think that was the name of the broadcast company she works for, you know, is, is similar to like an NPR, mm-hmm. except for on a state level. And, and you heard her say that they moved to Mississippi. Like, like that's the kind of funding that was behind this podcast was they took an entire team and moved them to Mississippi for a year to research it. So so that I think was cool because you end up with, you know, the ability to do that is just something that most of us lack. We just don't have the time or the or the the funding to be able to do something like that. But then just listen to how she approached things. I found when I was listening to it, I really I really enjoyed the ambiguity of it where she really doesn't take a side. As I said in the podcast, I wish all of our like actual news media covering like our elections and stuff were the same way. Yeah, that'd be really nice. Yeah. <laughs> but uh but at the same time, it's it's a struggle for me because we do have a mission where her, that's that's different than her mission, right? So our mission is to actually get something done and and be able to take action in these cases and make a difference in people's lives. 
she's making a difference in people's lives as well, but in a different way. What she's just trying to do is just report that, you know, she wants to do a, a, a very clear and accurate reporting of the truth. So I, I think it would be a neat dynamic if I was in a situation with a reporter like that. I will never, I think I've learned some things from her and just things I've learned over the years of doing this that we're working, you know, implementing in, in upcoming seasons. But I wouldn't ever want to be a reporter. I, I, I would never want to take away the drive and the fight that we have once our reporting, which is kind of the first phase of every season, if it determines that someone truly was wrongfully convicted, then I want to get into the fight. Um, so it'd be a cool dynamic to have, you know, myself and, and someone else with me along the way to kind of balance that out. It sounded as if it started about less about Curtis and more about the prosecutor. Yeah, it was never about Curtis. It just mm-hmm. kind of became that. Maria says, how did Madeline get involved in the case? Do we know? Was it just something they heard about? Was it recommended or any other way? I'm just curious what made them decide to take on the case, since Wisconsin is so far from Mississippi. From what I understand, it was it's very similar to the West Memphis Three with Paradise Lost. So for those of you that don't know, uh, the Paradise Lost series happened because uh, the, the team of directors and producers of that show were looking, they wanted to do a story or a documentary about satanic ritualistic killings. Yeah, they were going out there to cover the murders because they thought that's really what happened. Right. And, and they were in search of that. Mm-hmm. And then they got there. And then and that's you know probably part of why that theme stuck to that case for so long. Mm-hmm. Because they were working. They were all that original footage of the prosecution getting ready for trial. You know, they were they were talking every day to the prosecution about how this is a satanic ritual killing because that's what they wanted the story to be about. Mm-hmm. So in, in this case. Uh, Madeline in was wanting to do a story, uh, you know, about issues in the legal system and the justice system. And what intrigued her about Curtis's case had nothing to do with Curtis. She wanted, she thought it was really intriguing that there was a story where this man, where a prosecutor tried the same man six times, and that there was this racial element to it. Right? You have the white prosecutor. And the the black defendant and the reason they keep getting overturned. There was, oh, interesting sidebar when I was listening to you. So all of the overturnings weren't just because of Batson violations, which is striking black you know jurors because of their race. Mm-hmm. There, it was also one of his first conviction was overturned because uh, for prosecutorial misconduct, because the prosecutor was at, repeatedly asking improper questions and stating facts that were not in evidence. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, Deb Perringer's case. Mm-hmm. Again, another example, which I had mentioned in, in that, our final episode, where you know, the prosecutor said, when did you find out that your mother was cutting you out of the will? And for me, all kinds of red flags went up, because that mm-hmm. was a, a fact, not an evidence, and it was an improper question, because she stated a, a fact that wasn't a fact within her question. Anyway, that's a sidebar, just kind of caught my attention with that. But you know, the fact that... Why Madeline wanted to cover the case because you know it's 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 a good story and it's got a good kind of expose on the problems with this prosecutor in the legal system that he keeps trying this guy and and there, there seems to be a racial motivation behind it or at least they're using race in order to get the convictions and then it, it turned into you know as it seems like it turns into as she's doing these interviews and stuff with people she's finding out like. No, the, this guy, this guy's innocent. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think I should, I'm not putting words in her mouth. She didn't say he's innocent, but I, but you know, that 
this guy could be innocent because as she's interviewing people for her story, they're recanting and they're saying, no, this didn't happen. And the police pushed them into this and they were offered a reward. And so she just keeps digging and digging and digging. And then it became about Curtis Flowers. Kathleen says, is there anything we as non-Mississippi residents can do to assist in the political takedown of D.A. Evans? I think social media is where it's at. I mean, you don't have to. I mean, you can be in Australia and help spread the word about this guy, you know, by getting connected and getting on the Facebook page and the Twitters and the Instagrams for the DAs and, you know, whenever they're campaigning and things like that. And obviously the Mississippi residents can just go out and vote. But, you know, I, I think just just be loud and proud about your position that this guy, I mean, this guy's awful. In my opinion, this, this, this is an, an awful, ridiculous human being, especially when you find out wrongful convictions happen. But when you're studying one like this, and in my opinion, Curtis Flowers is actually innocent. But when, and, and when you study a case like this and find out that this wrongful conviction happened on purpose, and it happened on purpose repeatedly, and the end result is is murder, the death penalty, this guy is a scumbag and does not need to be anywhere near that office. And does he have a history of this outside of this case? It sounds like it. Yeah, I think that was that was part of the work Madeline did that that helped get the convictions overturned. Mm-hmm. The conviction overturned is because the case was the the story was supposed to be about Doug Evans. You know, she started studying his other cases and and the fact that he, that he does this regularly. See, and that's baffling to me that 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 if he has a history of this, how is this guy still around? Oh. How is he not in prison? Yeah. And that's, I know, I know Mike, you have a question on that, but just to cover that right now. So prosecutors have immunity. I mean, they, they can't be charged for their conduct in court. Only thing that really happened to them. I mean, there's been like one prosecutor ever that's ever actually spent time in jail for pro- prosecutorial misconduct. It was in Texas a few years ago, and I think they served like 11 days hmm. in jail. And it's a tricky situation because prosecutorial immunity on its face, on paper, is necessary. Because if they were to go into court and every time they try someone, that person can turn around and sue them or try to file legal charges against them. And then you're basically looking at a a trial for the trial every time, right? Okay. You know, so they need to be able to do their job and that's why the immunity is there. But what it also does is it gives, gives unwarranted, unchecked power to prosecutors who, you know, just like police officers. I think most police officers are good people. But they have a hell of a lot of power, and they need to be very careful about who's in that position because we see what's going on in the world today. There are, and I do not reflect that on all police officers at all, just is my, is my stance on that. But you need to be pretty fucking careful about who you let into that position because it is a, it is a position of extreme power, and so is a prosecutor's office. And so when you get a guy like this, if there was not immunity, if it was like you can be sued personally and you can be criminally charged if you – grab an inmate and tell them, I will let you off on all these drug charges and violent charges if you will lie and help me put this other man on death row, that should be charged criminally. Mm-hmm. He should be in prison right now. But because of that immunity, he's not. But that, that's why nothing has happened to him. And it, it's not right. There, there needs to be a better solution to that. that. They can protect good prosecutors when they're doing their jobs but also hold them accountable when they're intentionally doing a bad job. And in my opinion, one of the things he got beat up on was the the Batson violations. We see this all the time, and it's, it's very hard to prove. Because so basically what happens is during jury selection, you know, the, the, you, can, you can dismiss people with cause. You know, if, somebody, if somebody's, you know, you're questioning them and 
do, you know, I know the defendant in this case. Well, obviously, that's a good reason for you not to be on the jury. So that for, with cause. Mm-hmm. But then they get a certain number in this case. Like, and I think the trials, most of them is like 15 people. You can just say, I'm just striking them and not give a reason unless the other side believes there's a Batson violation. If, if they see, okay, he's striking all the black jurors, then they can say, tell the judge, I want, a, I want a hearing on this. I want to know why he's striking them because I, I think he's striking them because of their race, which sounds like a good check and balance, but the reality is it, never, it's almost, it almost never gets called. You know, so he'll just be like, oh, no, I struck that person because I saw him sleeping in the jury box, which is one of the excuses he used in this case. Hmm. Oh, okay. You know, I'll give any bullshit excuse, and the judge can be like, oh, "Okay, well, that's that works," uh, and and let him out. But in my, the more I was, as I was, you know, I've studied Batson many times before. I always thought, it's like, why do why should we have peremptory strikes? Like that would solve the problem real quick. You could only dismiss if you could only dismiss jurors for cause, which during the ones for cause, you have to explain that reason to the judge. Mm-hmm. If and then the judge decides if okay yes they can be dismissed for cause and the judge can also be like no that's not good I think they'll be fine and I've seen I've seen that happen in juries that I sat on uh, if you just got rid of the peremptory strikes I think it would solve that problem unfortunately nobody seems to be pushing to do that and nobody seems to be doing pushing to do anything to hold these prosecutors these dirty prosecutors accountable for what they're doing it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win. Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Jason says, is there any chance of getting an interview with Curtis Flowers himself on this podcast? I wish, but sadly, no. Maybe at some point. Uh, but when I first reached out to Madeline, I what I wanted to do is to have Madeline and Curtis on the podcast. And she, she said that Curtis is not doing interviews right now. And I think part of that is, I mean, Curtis is, I, I haven't heard this part of the podcast. I've read about it and I've seen people talk about it. But um, Curtis is, is in danger. Really, there there are still a lot of people who we, there was one guy on the podcast, one of the victims' family members, who said that you know he wanted to kill Curtis Flowers because the court can't do it. So he's out and free, but there's still people out there that think that he murdered four people, and he's in danger. So I so he is he is living in an undisclosed location right now, and I don't think and, and he's not doing any interviews. I think he's just trying to keep a very low profile and just try to move on with his life. Garrett says, after listening to In the Dark and studying this case a little, what things have you learned that you think can be applied to future truth and justice investigations? Time is a big one. Um, you know, just listening to the production. And, and this is something we've always wanted to do. And it's a big reason. Part of the reason for us doing what we're doing for season nine is to give us a break. So just, just kind of how the sausage is made here. Typically with truth and justice, it is week by week and, and we're, you know, as we always say, flying by the seat of our pants, white knuckle on a deadline every week to research, write, record interviews, record the episode and edit it and get it off every week. And then, you know, starting Monday, we start the process all over again. But what I've always wanted for our what we call our sound design is to have different voices, to do a lot of interviews and let other people help tell the story. 
and also to be able to to have more time to dig deeper in, into any element of the case, to research it further and speak to more people. But because of the nature of how we do things, it's just impossible a lot of the times. So, and oftentimes you'll hear if you listen to our back catalog, a lot of times, usually on like episode one or episode, you know, episodes one and two, you'll hear that kind of uh, season seven specifically. I remember we did that. We, we, we went out and did a bunch of interviews because it was local. It was only three hours away. We'd drive there and interview people. And then it just turns into just digging through documents and stuff because there's just no time. And so the way we're doing this season nine, part of the re- obviously we can't get records that we need. And we have a really interesting case that, as of right now, is going to be our season 10 case. And there's a bunch of people that I need to interview, a bunch of people I need to talk to that I can't get access to and documents. So, But the way we're recording season nine, because they're all interviews, or hopefully we are, or hopefully they'll all be interviews, some might not be, is I can schedule three, four interviews a week and get these knocked out and get them in the can. So we, we're, what we're doing is building time for ourselves. So, you know, if we can, by the end of October, have all the episodes done through the end of the year, then that leaves us December and November to work on season 10, where we can travel and do those in-person interviews and do those deep dives and create that sound design we're looking for and be able to to make more movement in the case. Because at some point, in every case we've done where we've really we're really taken steps towards solving the case has been when we can get our boots on the ground and actually do in-person investigations where we're speaking with other people. So that is part of what season nine is doing for us is giving us a buffer and some time to do a better job in season 10 and 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 talking with Madeline on and off the air. That's something that I've learned from there. That's what they did. They took a year. We won't be able to do that, but they took a year to gather all this information and then put it together and then put it out. And not not only do we not have the year to do that, but also I don't ever want to get away from the crowdsourcing aspect of what we do here. So, but the first, you know, dozen or so episodes of every season is we're kind of breaking down telling stories. We have kind of a, a template. And so if we can pre-produce those and then we can continue doing what we're doing in the weeks ahead and it just not be on this constant, constant deadline when we really get the listeners engaged and and start working together on the investigation. So the, the timing of that will just it, it's gonna just give us the freedom to be able to to do exactly that and hopefully make a bigger difference in the cases that we do in the future. Cindy says, I just wanted to say, Bob, that you mentioned trying to learn to be more like a journalist and be less emotionally involved. But your emotional involvement is what sets your podcast apart from all the others. I'm not saying you're doing it wrong. I'm just saying that there's a place for both. I appreciate so much your neutral stance during the investigation of the crime, but I love that when you feel that you have the facts and evidence all gathered, you make a judgment of the evidence. And when you see an innocent person is paying for a crime they didn't commit, you doggedly pursue justice. Well, thank you, Cindy. And I, I hope a lot of you feel that way because that, that's not going to change. You know, that, that's, I am who I am. And, I, and you heard me talking to you know, when I was talking to Madeline about that, that, you know, I, I kind of envy it, but it's kind of my, my own personal nature is one that not only do I, am I an emotional guy, but I also just always had this deep into me. I just hate a bully. And when I get to a situation where the facts, like in Curtis Flowers case and, and a lot of the cases that we've done where, you know, someone was attacked and bullied by the system and has taken their life away that, that I'm ready to fight. And, and I, I'm never going to try to take away those emotions 
So yeah, with the last question, to kind of tying those two together, so that that that's the happy medium that I, I I want to end up with, where we can do a better job of evidence gathering, research, and reporting, but then use that as fuel for the fire as we move through the rest of the seasons. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedIntandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. Lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at MurbGaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And Zach can be found at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. This has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.